morning. Wow, y'all did better than the 815 crowd. My name is Tina Shrammy, and uh, it is an honor to be here with you today. I serve as one of the pastors, and um, I want to start us right off the bat with some scripture that can be found on 1505 in the blue Bibles in your pew. It is the book of the gospel according to Matthew. We will start in chapter 5 and read verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Even the contemporary service can remember that. That's good. We don't, we don't say that often in this service. So... Um, First of all, I want to give you a little bit of context around this scripture. Now, the Beatitudes we could spend weeks on because as simple and straightforward as it sounds, there really is a lot of depth there and we could really spend some time on it and we can't do that today. And so what I may do, I think in some upcoming weeks is go a little deeper into the Beatitudes in our first 15, that online devotion resource that we offer at our church. If you're interested in that and you're not signed up, please uh, speak to someone after the service or speak to me and we'll get you hooked up with that. But we'll, we'll dive in deeper to the Beatitudes um, through that resource. But for now, our treatment of this is gonna be rather brief, so just hang with me. These verses, as some of you may know, are called the Beatitudes. Now they are called the Beatitudes, that's a Latin word for blessed or, or extremely blessed. And this is the beginning of a larger section in the Gospel of Matthew that is also known as the Sermon on the Mount. So chapters five through seven are the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes the, here at the beginning of chapter five is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, Matthew, makes the point in his telling that Jesus is here to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And though some want to point to a more future kingdom, a kingdom of heaven that we think about where we think, oh, we're going to spend eternity in heaven and that's our future goal and that's beautiful and wonderful and I do believe that that is part of it. But I think Jesus is really saying in this and Matthew is trying to tell us that Jesus came to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near as in here and now. In the Lord's Prayer, in fact, when we pray, uh, as we just prayed earlier today, when we pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That is our way of proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is to come here on earth. And here's the good news, friends. Matthew is telling us that Jesus came to proclaim that and Jesus invites us to participate in bringing that kingdom of heaven to here on earth every day. Now, it's important to see that the Beatitudes are sort of the first teachings in Matthew from Jesus. Up until this point in the chapters one through four, we've got the genealogy of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. And then Matthew tells us a little bit that he uh, begins to call the disciples and begins to go around healing and teaching, but it doesn't really tell what that teaching is until this point in the book. And in a culture where wealth and status were highly valued, where it was a rather cutthroat setting, these words would have been a bit shocking. Now, blessed had a certain meaning in this context. So remember that this was a Jewish world, right? In, In this area where Jesus was, they had grown up with scriptures and texts, a lot of the Old Testament. Um, for thousands of years. And the word blessed was used often in those texts. And if you read the Old Testament today, you'll see the word blessed often. And a lot it comes in the, um, in the Psalms and it will often be, refer to blessed is the one who is righteous. Blessed is the one who the Lord walks with them. Blessed is the one like that. So it's, it's, it had a lot of meaning. It meant that you were really special. God was with you if you were blessed, okay? So understand that context and then think about how we think about the word blessed today. Now, perhaps we're gonna transform our understanding of the word blessed, I'm hoping that we do by the end of the morning. But for some, there is this desire to equate the word blessed with happy or good even. But happy and good don't really capture the full meaning of what it is to be blessed or blessing. It is rather, here is my definition, it is sort of an expression of inner joy and peace together that come from this experience of God. So when you have that experience of God in a deep way and there's this inner joy and peace that comes from that, that is what, how I define blessing. And happiness and goodness may indeed be part of it, but I think blessedness transcends both of those. Now here in the U.S., we tend to think of, of blessed in terms of gifts, wealth, family even, friends, right? Many people will say, I've said this before, I feel so blessed because I have so many friends or because I have this family or because I have a home or because I have the means to to live a, a, a nice life. And while many of those things can indeed bring blessings, they don't necessarily equate with blessings, right? Just think about the people who have won the lottery. We've seen these stories on TV where they win the lottery and all that money destroys their life, right? You've seen that. It happens, I think, more often than not, that is the case, that people come into a lot of money all of a sudden and it's not a blessing it ends up being more of a curse. Or let's think about people will say their family or their friends are a blessing, which can be true, but we all have those family and friends that, well, maybe we wouldn't call them a blessing so much. We might call them something else. And so they, not every family or friend, right, always brings a blessing. Sometimes they bring pain. Sometimes they bring hurt and sorrow. So it's important to understand that blessing transcends what we have right? It transcends that. Now, in the U.S., this is particularly hard for us to understand 
Because we, uh, we live with such abundance here. Even those of us who are poor in the US are more wealthy than most of the rest of the world, right? Really, most of the wealth is here in the US in some European countries and the rest of the world falls way below um, the level that we live at. Now, let me give you an example of some of the abundance that we live in. I went to a Rangers game the other night and uh, it was, man, it was a great evening. We sat in the cheap seats way up high, my husband and I and a bunch of his friends from work, and it was really a glorious night. We laughed and had a good time, and the Rangers actually won, so that was kind of cool. And uh, as, as I said, we were sitting way up in the cheap seats, but we, could, so we, but we could still see the field beautifully. I love that stadium. I think I'm particularly fond of it because I, uh, it, it was built in my generation. Many of you remember when it was built, and we were so excited about it and it's such a cool stadium and I just I really love it I love baseball I love going to games and I was just I just really have a fondness for that stadium so as we're leaving that night we're up on the top platform and you can see over the side that where the new stadium is being built right they're building a brand new stadium and it's a, a lot of it is already done and it's very fancy and I thought to myself well, if you know me, I actually didn't just think to myself, I said it out loud, because that's what I do. I said, we are so spoiled. In the US, we are so stinking spoiled. This stadium that is beautiful and perfect, and there's nothing wrong with it, is just not good enough anymore. It's too old. It's outdated. It's just, we can't sit out in the heat with our cool drink and our nachos and our friends and family anymore. No, we have to sit in air conditioning to watch a, a baseball game, right? So we're gonna tear down this billion dollar structure and build another one right beside it. It's crazy. Now don't, I don't wanna have your emails about whether or not you're for or against the building of the stadium. That's not what this is about. What it's about is that we live in such abundance and excess that it's easy for us to discard something that's perfectly fine because we just want something a little bit better, right? It's often hard for us as Americans to truly understand the sort of blessing that Jesus was talking about in this passage. And so because of that, I'm gonna tell you what an African orphan recently taught me about blessing. He said, Gifts are just gifts until you share them. Are you with me? Gifts become blessings when you share them. They become blessings when you share them. Profound. So the wealth, the family, the friends, even the grace that we receive from Jesus, it's a gift and it blesses us, but it becomes a true blessing when we begin to give it away. Whatever it is, whatever it is that we have, including grace. You know, we weren't meant to just keep this grace for ourselves, right? You know that. We're meant to give it away. Many people sort of get stuck in their faith, I think, because they, they, they get secure with Christ. They know they're going to heaven. They've got that future security. And so they just sort of coast through Christian life the rest of their, their time. And what I'm telling you is that we are intended for more that in fact, the grace that we've been given is meant to be given away over and over and over. And in doing so, that's when it becomes a blessing to other people. 
Last week, Pastor Jim told a story in his sermon about a man who um, had done so much for his community. He had built schools and given money for all kinds of community efforts. And then the uh, depression happened and he lost everything, right? He lost all his wealth. And when he was asked, do you wish that you had kept that money for yourself? He said, no, all that I kept was loss, but all that I gave away remains. It's so true, isn't it? So let's go back to the Beatitudes. What was Jesus saying? You have to remember, he was talking to the people sort of on the outskirts of the in crowd, right? So the in crowd would have been the politicians, the the high religious folk, the um, people who had money. And Matthew makes it clear in his text that Jesus was out walking around the Sea of Galilee in sort of the rural areas. The people he would have been talking to, the crowds that were following him were farmers, fishermen, ranchers, day-to-day kind of folk making their money, you know, as they go, never developing a whole lot of wealth, most likely. No one cared what they thought, what their thoughts were on politics or, or whether they thought that the government was being run right, right? Nobody really cared about their opinion so much. And Jesus was saying to this group of people, you are the ones who are blessed. I know you think it's all those people over there with wealth and status and clean clothes and nice homes and don't have scrapes and cuts on their hands from laboring in the fields. I know you think it's them who are blessed and that's what you, the culture has taught you. But here I am today telling you, no, it is you who are blessed. You who have been seen as invaluable are in fact blessed. Now, let me give you an example of this. So I told you we couldn't dive too deep into the scripture, but let's just take that first blessed saying, blessed, the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit can mean two things. It can mean the beat down, the downtrodden, the tired, the weary, you know, the tired of the daily grind. You've all probably experienced that at some point in your life, and maybe you're in that phase right now, right? But these people were probably, this was a daily way of life. They were just sort of beat down and tired and living day to day, not really ever getting ahead of the game. Or to be spiritually poor could mean to to be spiritually lacking. In other words, um, not having spiritual training, not having gone to um, synagogue enough. Because you have to remember back in this time, they weren't carrying around Bibles, right? There were scrolls and a few people had them. And the few people that had them were rich. So the people in this community would not have had scrolls, most likely. They wouldn't have had the scripture. And to learn about the scripture, you had to go to somebody who would teach you, or you had to go to synagogue, right? So it could mean spiritually poor. But either way, here's the point. Jesus was saying to these people, you who are spiritually poor, you are blessed. Let me tell you a story about some African orphans. For those of you who don't know, our church actively supports about a thousand orphans in um, three different countries currently, Rwanda, India, and Guatemala. We do this through uh, Zoe Ministry, which is an empowerment model. And here in America, we love the word empowerment. We think that's just a wonderful way to do things, and I agree. But let me tell you what empowerment looks like in one of these countries. It looks like training, community support, encouragement, education, partnership, financial backing, and a lot of love. 
which still sounds pretty good, we're on board with this, until I tell you that it does not include a handout of any kind. Kids come to their first Zoe ministry meeting having not eaten in days, most of them. And if they have eaten, it was after working a day of carrying water up and down a hill or carrying bananas up and down a hill for somebody and they're given a banana or an avocado as their payment for the day. And that would have been their meal. Many of them have no homes. They're sleeping under bushes and in abandoned spaces. They come in ragged clothes. Or if they have any clout in the community, they might borrow a clean shirt from a neighbor to wear to the meeting. They come and they are given nothing tangible. They come with empty bags expecting to get food or clothes or something because adults have told them to come to this meeting and so that's what they're expecting. And they are given nothing. They are told about a new way forward. They share their stories. They listen to each other and realize they're not alone. They have, they share, they hear success stories from Zoe graduates. They are told they are worthy of love. They are capable. They are a child of God and they are given a glimpse of hope but they don't walk away with a bag of food. They walk away with some hope. And that is the empowerment model. Gaston Warner, the executive director of Zoe, has a sign that he puts up when promoting Zoe at churches or conferences or, or similar. And it says, do less for orphans. Pretty shocking. And he gets a lot of, uh, he says, aggressive conversations that come out of that. They, they come over to his table. Why would you say that? What do you mean? And of course, what he's saying, his point is do less for orphans so that they can do more for themselves. Because here's the deal. This is what he's saying about Zoe kids and, and what I think Jesus was saying about the people in this community. Sometimes, paradoxically, the most vulnerable among us are also the most capable among us. They're also perhaps the most ready and eager to receive blessing. Now don't hear me saying, I wish for anybody to be poor, to not eat for days, to live under a bush, to struggle even to be sad or grieve. I don't wish that on any person. But what I know and what I think you know is that in struggle, when we are poor in spirit, it's often when we are the most eager and ready to receive God and receive blessing. We do things to support these orphans. Our church gives thousands of dollars every year to support them, but we don't do for them. We walk alongside them, we encourage them, we train, teach, give them a community, and we listen. We see them, we hear them, we stand behind them in solidarity. We give our financial support to a group so Zoe develops groups of about 100 um, orphans, maybe 30 families. And by families, I just mean a group of kids. So there might be a 12 to 20-year-old head of household and then two younger siblings or one younger sibling or four. But that 12 to 18, 20-year-old becomes the head of the household, the one who is in charge of that family. And they gather them together, they assemble them, they begin to elect leaders out of their peer group, an adult mentor from the community, so perhaps an adult in the community who has been kind to them in the past, and they are assigned one Zoe staff, usually a social worker. 
after their training, the group begins to decide who gets the money. We've given them a pool of money, and the group collectively decides how to disperse that money. And in the first year, they do this in the way of grants, so money that they don't have to pay back. So the kids are taught how to, do, how to run a business, what kinds of business might be good. They help them sort of pick out one and start it, and then they come to the group, and they say, okay, I want to start this business, and I need this much money, and here's how much profit I'm going to make. And so the group decides, yes, we're going to give them a grant of so much money, right? And then many of them will fail. Many of them, not having not ever held money before in their life, will take that money, either all of it or part of it, and go buy food because they haven't eaten in days. As you can imagine, that's what I would do. So many of them will fail at the first try. And many of them will succeed. And so what the group does collectively, again, they do this for themselves. They decide, okay, well, this group over here, this family is really struggling. So let's partner in with this family that is doing well. Or let's walk alongside here. The peer group leader will come and walk alongside them and help them develop their business further, get a plan going until they eventually develop a successful business plan and get off their feet. That's how the Zoe model works. When one fails, they pick each other up and together they rise. So that in three years, those kids have gone from being, and this is what they will tell you over and over, we heard this. I went from being the problem in the community to being a leader in the community. In three years time, they go from sleeping under bushes and having no food to being respected and seen as a leader in the community. And part of that is because of what they told us. Many, many of the children we saw in Rwanda told us of, of life before Zoe. They told us they were treated like animals. They saw themselves as animals. They wondered why God created them. They wondered if God had forgotten them. And so one of the reasons we go, people will ask us, why do we go on these Zoe trips? Why do we go to um, see these kids when we're not doing anything, right? We don't go to do. We just go to build relationships and visit with our groups. And people will say, well, you could just take all that money that you spent on that trip and just go ahead and give it to Zoe, which makes sense in a certain way. But here's why we go on those trips. We go to see them, to witness them, to tell them that they are loved to tell them that people across the globe care about them. That though they don't have parents, we have pride in them. We believe in them. One of them said to us, you came all this way to know us even though we were unknown. Beautiful, isn't it? Let me tell you my story of my, my friends in Yodway and Mugisha. <clears throat> when you go on a Zoe trip, the first couple of days, they take you on um, to see the third year groups and the graduates because they want you to see the success, right? So in those first couple of days, there's lots of celebration and clapping and saying, we're so proud of you, which we say a lot. Um, they, there is lots of joy on their faces. They are happy and healthy. Kids are in school uniforms. Every, the kids are clean and, and they're healthy. They've been eating. You know, they've got food security. They're successful businesses. They often give us gifts like this one right here, which is a Rwandan Bible. And they had it tagged with Jeremiah 29, 11, which is the verse for Zoe. And this gift, which is a, a basket that they made. <clears throat> and in it was um, raw peanuts that we then took to our hotel and they uh, roasted them for us. So we snacked on them for the rest of the trip. They were tasty. 
And I, I wish I could explain to you the, the blessing that it is to receive those gifts from them. Kids who we know without a doubt had nothing three years ago are now giving us gifts. But see, here's what they understand. They understand that receiving a gift is just a gift until you give it away and then it becomes a blessing to someone else. So we see those third year groups who do a lot of celebrating and then as the week goes, you see the second year groups and the first year groups. And the first year groups are very hard to witness because they're still really struggling. And in 2012, when I went, we saw these um, two young boys. I think we have a picture of them. Uh, yes, Inyadwi is on the right, and Mugisha, who is the younger one, though he's taller, is on the left. Inyadwi was about 12, and Mugisha was about 8 at the time. And when we saw them, they had just started in the Zoe program about two months in, maybe, and they had just started their first business. They were living in a hut. It was kind of like a, a short ceilinged barn, really. And there were about four different families living there. So they were just, they each just kind of took a corner. No beds, nothing but dirt and, and maybe some hay in there to lay on. They had nothing but the clothes that were on their back. They had just started their business and their business that they had chosen was charcoal, making charcoal. So to make charcoal, I don't know if you know, but it's kind of a laborious task. You have to cut down logs, bury them in the ground, burn it in the ground, rebury them, reburn it, I don't know, over and over and over, but it takes a while and it's a lot of hard, hot work. And then you harvest it, you cut it up, you bag it, and you get it ready to sell for market. And they had just completed their first harvest of charcoal the night before, and somebody stole it. Yeah, that's what we said. <laughs> and so we're standing there with them, these two little boys who were crying. They were telling us of their life before, how they had lived on the streets, their parents had died years ago. They had nothing. And they were so excited to start this business and they felt like they had failed us. And they cried and we cried. And it was heart-wrenching, probably one of the most gut-wrenching moments of my life to witness that. And as we prepared to leave, oh gosh, it was so hard not to just give them everything we had. But part of the Zoe program is that we don't give them anything. That's really important. And so as we left, our leader, Epiphany, um, went over and talked to the, the um, leaders of their group and said, you know, we need to give them some extra help. Here's what happened. Please make sure you partner them and perhaps somebody can share some food for them today because they hadn't eaten in two days. And we knew that they would be okay. We had hope, we believe in the Zoe ministry, we know how successful it is, and we knew, we had confidence. But oh, was it hard to leave them that day. It was so very hard. So we left, and I can't tell you the number of times I've thought of them and prayed for them over the years, never thinking I would ever get to see them again. Well, I just went to Rwanda last month, and part of our task, we had a video team with us that was tasked with doing follow-up stories. So they were tasked with going to see some of the groups that we had seen in 2012 and some in 2015 and to do follow-up stories. Well, we see a lot of kids, so I, I really just had no expectation that we would see these two young boys. But one day we were, Savannah was going over the, our itinerary for the day and she said, and we're gonna go see these two boys and she's describing them and I said, oh, 
it's my charcoal boys. I knew, and I was so excited to see them, and I had no idea. We had no idea. Are they successful? We, we don't know. I mean, we hoped and prayed that they would be. When we got off the bus in Yodwe, the older one remembered me, which I can't tell you how endearing that is. Now, I was probably the only white woman he'd ever seen crying for him. So it wasn't that hard to remember me. But he told Epiphany, he said, I remember her crying for me. And today I want to make her smile. So he proudly and his brother showed us their home. They had actually built a home, a fourplex, a quadplex with um, the, the other families that they had been living in that little hut with. So they, they had kind of become family to each other. So they were all living in this, these little four houses all connected. You see the joy and the smile on their faces. That little box they have is their bank. Um, every day when they come home, they take their spare change and put it in there. And then every three months they get it out and put it in the savings. They showed us their successful charcoal business, their successful banana business, they were so proud and we were so very proud of them. It was a blessing to witness their story. It was a blessing to get to see their success. And I had to apologize to them because even though he wanted to make me smile, I cried the whole time. But I told him it was, it was tears of joy, not tears of sorrow, and he was okay with that. It was a blessing. And here's what they told us along with almost every single graduate we visited. They told us that they understood that importance of giving away what they had been given. They hired employees with a fair wage, unlike giving them an avocado for hard work for a day, they actually paid them. They took in other orphans. They cared for the elderly. They gave back to their community. They taught others about their rights. They gave away what they had been given. And in doing so, those gifts became blessings. They understood it inherently. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. He redeems us. But then he calls us to partner in redemption of others. He calls us to give away grace. We offer what we have to Zoe, who then shares it with these orphans. There are things in which they, they can't do for themselves. And so we encourage, we support, we lift, we train, we use our gifts and they become blessings to them. They become young people who are not only recipients of gifts, but also caregivers and givers to those around them. The blessings continue in a cycle, you see, in relationship of serving and giving and blessing others. And friends, this is what I think Jesus was teaching us in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they are, receive the blessings. They are eager to hear what God has to say to them. This is what Matthew was proclaiming to us. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven, both in the future and right now. And we are the blessed ones that get to participate in that work with him. Lord, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.